Hello and welcome to Demo Tapes, the music podcast that's all about hitting rewind and celebrating the bands and scenes we love. I'm Rick Martin and this, my co-host, is Sarah Jane Kemp. Hello, hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. You? Good, yeah, I'm really good today, thank you. Really sprightly. I've started going to the gym in the mornings before work and uh, I'm not running out of steam just yet, so it's, it's all good. Lots of endorphins flowing. Yeah, I've never been a gym in the morning person, to be honest. It's oh, well, I used to years and years and years ago. I've just started getting back into it, but it is the best thing to do because then my evenings are free. Yeah, I think my evenings probably get clogged up with going later and later to the gym. But anyway, this has turned into a, a lifestyle podcast, which we are not. So I think let's uh, move back to kind of the matter in hand. And what, what is this episode all about? And we actually thought we'd do something a little bit different this week and play a teaser clip from the interview we're playing out in the episode later on, because it kind of gives, I guess, more of a flavour of, of what we're going to be talking about. So without further ado, here's a little snippet. Is anyone interested in in the 90s yet? They will be one day, maybe not yet. So if you didn't know by the sound of that man's voice, that was no other than Damon Albarn. Um, if you don't know that name, where have you been? Um, he is for obviously from Blur, Gorillaz, um, and The Good, The Bad and The Queen. Rocket Juice and The Moon, Marley Music. I mean, this guy is omnipresent on the uh, on the music scene. There's probably bands I've forgotten that he's in there, to be honest. Yeah, he's, he's definitely um, a man of many talents, isn't he? And that was recorded about eight years ago for Enemy. Uh, Rick did that interview, and... Lots of things have changed in that time and the reason we're doing this is because we feel, um, and I'm sure a lot of you out there will do as well, that we're really in the midst of a 90s revival at the moment and and that's really going to be the central theme of this episode. But more on that later. But anyway, what have we been up to this week? We'll do our usual slot on this. Um, What have you done, Rick? I thought it'd be interesting to talk about the last episode we did actually, the, the interview with the Reverend, which has had pretty great reaction um i would say you know both in terms of downloads but also kind of interaction on social and actually the man himself john mcclure uh tweeted out the episode and said he'd never spoken about his band in in that way before so it was actually uh quite quite an interesting one really i i guess when when i did the interview a couple of weeks ago i felt he was talking about kind of bearing his soul a little bit in 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 some ways but then it's interesting when an artist themselves kind of clarifies that and confirms that um and yeah it's, it's just had a we've had, we've had a frenzy of activity on social i guess you could say. we have yeah well he's he's been tweeting it out um it's more than once actually hasn't he so he's been kind of really wanting his fans to listen to it because um i think it probably gives them a bigger better picture of of who he is and who they are as a band so yeah that's been really really a really good one for us um what I really liked about that episode as well, just to touch back on it again, is the, the kind of future gazing of the music industry. Um, and I'm really excited to see what, what's to come from, from both Reverend and the Makers and John McClure, but also other bands and artists that are out there that may, may be doing the same thing. So I'm going to do a bit more digging into that because that was something that really interested me from his interview. Um, what have I been doing? You haven't asked me again. I keep doing this. I ask myself the question. It's fine. Um, but I... Um, I went actually went to um, Gospel Oakey on Friday night. Rick. So what is Gospel Oakey? <laughs> is it something to do with like, Holly Oaks and Gospel or something? No, and it's not karaoke and Gospel Oak, which a lot of people have been asking me. Oh, was it in Gospel Oak? Oh, it would have been great, wouldn't it? I was like, no, it wasn't. For, for non-London London based listeners, Gospel Oak, Gospel Oak is, is an a area of London. Have, have you ever been to Gospel Oak? Because I it certainly North haven't. West? I think it's Northwest London, something like that. I don't. I don't even know. I've seen it on, I've a, seen tube it on a tube map. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually w- went past the bus that said Honor Oak today, and it made me think about the whole thing again. So, no, it's not in Gospel Oak. It was actually in West London. It was at White City, and. And so what is Gospel Oakey? 
it is essentially karaoke um, to a backing track, but also there's a there's a gospel band singing the backing music for you. Um, so the best thing about it, though, is you get to wear um, a robe. So you go on stage and they give you a white robe so you can pretend to be whoever it is they want you to pretend to be. I don't actually know. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was the weirdest, most surreal karaoke I've ever done. And it's led up by a woman called Eleanor Conway and actually recognised her from a few years ago, from about seven years ago. She used to run musical bingo which was also really fun and she's actually a comedian and um she she's not had a drink for five years and you know I did one of those really embarrassing things where I'd had quite a few drinks because to give me some Dutch courage to go up on stage and started trying to talk to her afterwards and realized that I wasn't well, I wasn't really saying much other than meh, meh, I'm drunk which probably was my a low point but hello Eleanor um it was lovely to meet you and uh, keep up the good work with gospel Oki and I'm definitely going to come back at some point I mean, hang on a minute I mean gospel generally originated in churches and you're not supposed to drink in church so haven't you kind of broken the first rule of gospel music Oh, I've broken many rules, Rick, um, but let's not go there. So what, what songs <laughs> What songs did you sing then? I mean, in my head, I've got, and this is not just because we had Damon Albarn on earlier, but I think Tender by Blur would probably be the one that you'd want to yeah, sing. Yeah, the song choice is actually quite limited. I'm not sure, probably around 30 songs they've got. Um, but I chose one. So when we walked in, I was hoping there'd be an Alicia Keys one on there because that's always my go-to when I do karaoke. And as we walked in, someone had was getting up on the stage and she belted out an Alicia Keys song really, really well. So it kind of maybe going to my shell a little bit because you can't do the same song as someone else. So I had to choose another one. And the one I chose was Heard It Through the Grapevine. I didn't realise that was a gospel tune. Well... I don't think it is. I don't think. I think you're thinking too literally. It doesn't have to be gospel songs at gospel okay. Ah, so it's gospel versions of popular yeah. songs. Okay. I mean, no, it's not even gospel versions. It just happens to be a gospel choir behind you. When I say gospel choir, there's about five or six people, all in red robes. Anyway, it was great, and I would definitely recommend anyone going to do it because it's fun and it's a bit of a comedy show as well. Because Ellen is really, really funny. So. I mean, look, I'm none the, wi- none the wiser as to what this even is all about, so I'll probably have to come down to the next one. If not to sing, just to see what it's all about. Well, you should. Next time I'll tell you. And I guess while you've been, you know, out doing gospel okey and having a social life, uh, <laughs> I've been more focused, I guess, on daytime TV. And, uh, yeah, something caught my eye this week, that uh, the darkness and feeder appearing on Bargain Hunt. I mean, I know that the music media has shrunk to the point that there's barely a, mu- you know, like a weekly music press. There's no top of the pops. But is this now where kind of old bands go to die now, daytime TV programmes? Because I, th- I think I'm right in thinking that Bez and Sean Ryder have been on Bargain Hunt as well. I had no idea. When you sent me this link last week, I, I, I was gobsmacked and I didn't really know what to think about it. What? Why? Why? What's, what's so good about Bargain Hunt? I don't like daytime TV, if I'm honest. Why do people love Bargain Hunt so much? I mean, it's not top of my list of daytime TV programmes. It's probably... Home's Under the Hammer's yours, isn't it? It's, it? But it's in the top <laughs> ten easily because it's that it's the thrill of the chase, isn't it? It's the thrill of they get given about 20 quid on, an, on some hokey market or high street. They've got to go and buy some trinkets and then sell them on. But, yeah, you wonder why Feeder and The Darkness have got kind of any view on that. If anything, you would think bands would want to go on something like Escape to the Country or A Place in the Sun, which are my favourite daytime aspirational TV programmes. Well, yeah, maybe they don't have enough money now to buy flat, buy, yeah. uh, buy property, so that's very, not going to work true. for them. Yeah, they need yeah. to make some money by selling a bargain for a lot of money. Well, they're going to have to sell a lot of bargains to buy a place in the sun, I would yeah. That's probably enough about what we've been up to over the last week. We thought we'd get into kind of the uh, the main element of this, this episode, which is, as we mentioned at the top, uh, this kind of 90s slash Britpop, I'm going to say, 
revival that I think has been going on uh, in the music scene recently, something that, as we said, eight years ago, Damon Albarn definitely didn't see happening when I was asking him about uh, potentially reforming Blur, and we will play that interview out uh, a little bit later on in the episode, and we'll give a bit more lead into that later. But, um, yeah, I mean, we were inspired to do this mainly, I guess, Damon's back in the headlines as well. Did you see this, that Damon's got yet another kind of project on the go? I did, yes. Um, I actually saw this on Instagram because um, I've started following him on Instagram, which is which really nice because obviously, he's, as well as the music, he's really into his his art and obviously he's married to an artist and you can really tell that via his Instagram page because it's very visually lovely. Um, and yeah, so his new project, and I think I sent this to you, didn't I? The nearer the fountain, more pure the stream flows. Exactly. As soon as you sent me this, I kind of had to go away and do some digging. So you hear the rustling of the paper. I, I'm not going to be able to memorise exactly what this is, so I'm, I'm just going to read through some of this and we can try and get our heads around what it is. So it's a new work that he's taken on tour in May that's inspired by the landscapes of Iceland uh, and he's going to team up with a conductor. And then the, the quote in the, the story is all about how Iceland's like the land of the midnight sun, it's got an abundance of kind of natural beauty and Damon, because he's been going to Iceland for 30 years, it's kind of, you know, he's, he's by osmosis soaked up those influences and has turned them into music. I mean, truthfully, I've got no idea what this is going to sound like. Have you got any any clue as to... I, the only thing I can think is like glacial kind of icicle sounding like stuff. Icicle sounding stuff. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I was thinking strings, if I'm honest. Like strings and kind of nice light piano so basically, like, uh, so like a, yeah, kind of, but a bit, a bit lighter than that. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this and visualizing. Well, I'm not seeing it at all, but kind of visualizing this in my ear. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, that's a really bad, bad saying. But um, how would you say it, actually? What would you say? You know, you I'm can say I'm visualizing. I'm hearing it. it in my mind's eye. I'm hearing it in my. Oh God, that's even worse. Anyway, you know what I'm Looks trying like to say, everybody. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be quite quite light and airy and and very pretty atmospheric atmospheric yeah but definitely lighter than Sigur Ross. i'm not a really big Sigur Ross fan actually so i like some of their stuff yeah but i probably wouldn't run an episode whole episode on them no, but yeah not. i mean i think the fact that damon's back is interesting and in the interview a little bit later on uh, recorded eight years ago he talks about a number of his projects you know his, his demo his drc which is like the congo music he did uh, the potential return of Blur, which then subsequently happened, and some stuff on Gorilla. So I think we think it's a really interesting interview for, you know, fans of Damon, fans of Blur, and it's a real kind of moment in time. Yeah, and I think another massive indication that uh, Britpop and uh, the stars of Britpop are back, back, back is the fact that Liam Gallagher's second album, uh, Why Me, Why Not, uh, is riding high. Number one, number one on the album chart as we're recording now. It might have been knocked off the top uh, by the time we go out. But yeah, you, on the subject of. Liam Gallagher. I mean, he's doing a lot of press at the moment to promote the album, but you you think you've picked out possibly the best bit of press he's done in a while? So go on, fill oh, us I in. I love it. Um, if anyone out there knows the 73 Questions With um, video series on the Vogue channel on YouTube, uh, this one was a great one that came out last week. Um, it was with Liam Gallagher and they were walking through Hampstead Heath and it was a really, really hot day and it's just it just made me laugh so much. Really, really hot day and he's wearing a signature outfit, you know, he's kind of parker jacket and and he said you know he alluded to the fact that he, he always does get really hot because the, one of the questions was the guy saying you know does anyone ever ask you if you get hot and he's like yeah of course i get hot like, well, why do you wear those clothes then i don't really get it but a couple of the questions that i really find found so funny is do you have any irrational fears and before, even before the guy and finished asking the question he was like yeah mice <laughs> i was hmm. like okay brilliant another one um was uh what's your spirit animal 
dolphin. <laughs> like, and he just goes, he just says the word dolphin. I'm like, could you want to give us a reason why? He's kind of like bang on the questions. Um, and the funniest bit for me was uh, he was asking, you know, he'd gone on to talk about how, um, answer the questions around what's your favourite band? He's like the Beatles, what are your favourite Beatles songs? Could reel them off like that, literally like that. And when the guy goes, name your, fa- your top five Oasis songs. He goes, um, uh, um, uh, Live Forever, Supersonic, uh, Cast No Shadow. And he goes, um, he's like, uh, for ages. And then he goes, oh, I only need one more, don't I? And the guy was like, yeah, fine, whatever. And he's like, um, uh, Wonderwall. And he's like, that to me was so hilarious. He can't even remember his own songs. Why? And he's playing them live with his solo. He's band, playing them, well, yeah. yeah. So it just made me laugh. If you haven't watched it, if you haven't heard about it, go and Google it because it is very funny. He's like a parody of himself, that man. And what other things have you noticed in terms of this sign of, of that Britpop seems to pretty much seems to be back? If not back, it's in the headlines. Yeah. Well, it happens, doesn't it? Every you know, sort of ten, twenty years after a decade, people go back and love nostalgia, don't they? It's kind of nostalgic value. Also, for us, we were it was when we were young, so it, it's one of the things that we grew up on, so grew up on and with. So our eyes kind of keep a lookout for it naturally to think you know you know the good old days it's it's actually really good to see that but um i guess one of the reasons this episode came around as well is because i was reading the times yes rick i was reading the times makes a change Um, read a quality newspaper (laughs) i only ever read the times really no that i shouldn't say that because i work in pr no i read everything um but there was an interview with uh brett anderson of suede fame the lead singer from suede um and he it opened up the opening line was really interesting because it said um the journalist was talking about how brett anderson had written a book that he said he'd never write and i've pulled out some things that i really liked from the uh the interview did you read the interview rick yeah you did yeah so you're you touched on this a minute ago and it's something we've talked about before in terms of how easy or easy or easier it was in those days maybe to for musicians to break through you know we've got the the world of social media now anyone can have a social media profile so it's kind of there's so much noise out there how do you get it but there's a quote in here that said um that despite you know not having the weekly music press now um they had it in the in the 1990s um and when it still wielded huge influence suede graced 19 magazine covers and appeared on top of the pops before even signing a record deal i mean when does that happen today it just doesn't doesn't exist i mean all that's interesting everything but i think the thing that jumped out to me in this interview was the slagging off of blur or what appeared to be the slagging off of blur he actually apparently in the book is very keen to make sure he doesn't name it as Blur. But, I mean, when you listen to this quote that I think you've dug out from the interview, I mean, it's pretty clear who he's talking about, right? Yeah, but so in the the article it says, he rails against witless opportunist mockneys, middle-class media geezers who had learned to drop their H's and flatten their vowels, a cheap, beery, graceless cartoon bereft of passion or rage who cravenly hid behind a brittle mask of irony. I love it. It's so horrible. I mean, come on, Brett, tell us what you really think. Yeah, it's really mean. And I think later in the article as well, he, he kind of equates what was going on with the kind of the music scene and some of the, you know, Blur and art school band, essentially, but kind of the mixture with the lad culture thing, the whole loaded, men behaving badly, mm. you know, England at Euro 96 kind of culture that he thinks was a bit of a... Of a, uh, it, it didn't sit well with what they were trying to do with the music, maybe. Yeah, I think it seems to me he was... He's obviously a very intelligent... Uh, creative well-read um guy right and he was probably 
not that happy that some people who we might have thought were talentless, although I don't agree with him actually. Um, which, you know, even if people, the thing about the Mockney thing is that in in those creative industries, you know, you, you are creating characters essentially. So, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you've you, you've seen you've seen bands that are cre- are completely different to what they would be like in real life, and that's that's nothing wrong with that. That's the creative industry and how that world works. So, I think he was a bit bitter for for the wrong reasons actually. But I think the other thing to remember with Britpop is everyone thinks of Britpop as being a rivalry between Oasis and Blur, and ultimately, you know, that is the thing that everyone remembers. But there were far more kind of little rivalries going on in that scene than, than maybe first first appear. For example, I mean, Damon Albarn nicked uh, Brett Anderson's girlfriend Justine Freeshman of uh, Elastica. Nick, did Nick her? Did, did, did they have an affair? I don't know. I wasn't around. She definitely. Well, she left him. You she weren't left, around. Yeah, you well, weren't. I you was, weren't a fly was, on the wall at that like, time. Yeah, she left uh, Brett for Damon. So another reason for him to be slightly peeved. But yeah, this was another thing I, I was going to kind of raise. Is is, is you know that. Although, um, you know, Britpop was quite a celebratory time and celebratory music, you know, there was that conflict. And even um, Luke Haynes, who was in a band called The Auteurs at the time, who were definitely seen as kind of Britpop nearly men. The way I've described it to you in the past is they were a little bit like the Others or the Paddingtons to the Libertines of the scene that came like 10 years on, in that they were there in the scene and plugging away, but were never quite as big as some of the main bands. And, uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to interview him uh, about 10 years ago now, I think it was maybe a little bit longer than that, uh, about his book Bad Vibes, which is basically like a complete trashing of the uh, of the Britpop scene, you know, almost like a, a kind of counterpoint to all the kind of celebration of that being um, a great time in music. And just as you've kind of pulled some quotes out from, uh, from the Brett Anderson interview, I want to pull some of those quotes out from the feature I wrote 10 years ago. Do you want to hear some of these? Yeah, sure. So I think they're quite funny. So, rustle of paper again, not great <laughs> audio. Um, so he says, the only legacy of Britpop is light entertainment. I can't see any difference between Noel Gallagher and Dale Winton. I mean, can you imagine Noel Gallagher presenting Supermarket Sweep? I'd love to see Noel Gallagher presenting Supermarket Sweep. So that should have been Dale Winton RIP, because obviously when this was written, Dale Winton was still Also, you know Supermarket Sweep is back, so let's put, start a petition to get Noel Gallagher as the presenter. As the presenter. Let's, do it, yeah, let's, let's do see where we get with that. <laughs> then he continues, when mankind is finally wiped from the face of the earth, a cockroach will emerge. Behind that cockroach will be an oasis with another ponderously titled plodding album that they'll be half-heartedly promoting with no one left to buy it. They're indestructible. I mean, that proved uh, pretty wrong, didn't it? Because mm. a couple of years later, Oasis were no more. There's a lot of aggression from these these guys, though, isn't there? Why do you think that is? This guy is particularly acerbic. And I think the, what I picked up from the kind of interview is, you know, that he he was the guy from the sidelines wishing it was him that was, that was getting maybe the the mass fame and, and the, the kind of adoration of some of those bands. And he even says later on, you know, Suede played better gigs, but we had better songs. And he even goes on to claim that Blur basically ripped off their, their sound <laughs> and their music. So he said, Damon was definitely at auteurs gigs around the time of Modern Life is Rubbish. They had a marked change in their sound. Beetlebum is a direct copy of our track, How Could I Be Wrong? And then he goes on to say, Oh my God. I read somewhere that Damon only owned one cassette when he was a kid. That was the sum total of his interest in rock and roll. I still think he makes records that sound like a guy with one cassette. And this is the bit I find the most perplexing. As we talked about before, I mean, Damon's got one of the most kind of, whether you're a fan of his music or not, 
a very diverse range of things that he's done. He's been in about 50 different bands over the last 15 years. All very, very different, and they don't sound like the same cassette to me. No, no, they don't. If anything, he does sound like a kid that maybe owned at least five or six cassettes. You know? <laughs> as a, a very, kid. Five or six that very different like a, cassettes. a lot when you're a kid. Yeah, no, I think as well, you know, he's coming across as quite bitter. I think it's really a common trait, isn't it, of somebody who feels like they've been scorned. If someone's copying them, then um, they're going to kind of lash out at them. But I, I don't personally like that 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 take on it. I think that's not the right way to do it because people end up thinking thinking you're an even more of an idiot. And then also, you know, Blur, they've done really well. I think, yeah, whatever. I don't even know who the auteurs are. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, there but, you look, go. but it made for great copy back in the day, let's say. Oh, it did, yeah. I can imagine you were like rubbing like your hands together as a music journalist going, Yo, yeah, got this, got that, great. And we're going to sell loads of copies with this. Controversial. So any other signs we've noticed that Britpop being back... Well, I don't know, just going back to that article again, um, they talked about, Brett Anderson talked about Supergrass. He, they said, the journalist asked him if he thought it was all rubbish, and he said, nope, there was one um, album that Supergrass did. I can't remember which one it was, I actually. should Coco, it's the yeah, debut, yeah. And um, he said that was really good. So that also coincides with Supergrass being back. We've talked about it before. And they're not doing new material, so they're literally just doing gigs for nostalgia reasons, knowing that people are going to give them money to, to play their old hits. So I, I have a slightly different opinion to Brett Anders. I think I should Coco the debut that had like All Right and um, some of their kind of poppier hits was 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 great. But actually, their best album for me is In It for the Money, the second second album they put out. You know, that had like Richard the Third on it and Sun Hits the Sky. I mean, it's still a massive signing album. It's almost timeless. I think I'd say they're both great. I, I absolutely love both of them. Still listen to them to this day. Um, and another thing that um, we talked about, didn't we, the other day, Rick? I thought I f- completely forgot I did this over the summer. Um, I went to see the Chemical Brothers at a festival that's on near my house uh, in East London, and um, it, they're not Britpop, are not they? Not strictly Britpop, no. But but. <laughs> but there's always a but. They did work with a lot of Britpop bands back in the day. Um, so again, Noel Gallagher crops up again, time and time again in this podcast, isn't he? Setting Sun and also Let Forever Be had Noel on it. And The Test had Richard Ashcroft on it of the Verve fame. And that's another, you've raised another interesting point there. In that I don't think the Verve are ever thought of as being a Britpop band, even though yeah, their I career would. coincided completely with Britpop. Yeah, you know? I, think, I think they are. I mean, I would think of them as a Britpop band. Definitely. Why wouldn't you? I just don't think when people think Britpop, they think oh, they think the the kind of the big four, don't they? Blur, Oasis, Pulp, Suede, and I think for some reason the Verve are kind of put on a slightly. I think it's this is right by the way because I think their sound is very different to everything else going on at the time, and their sound evolved. Even though Blur's sound kind of evolved in a way from being like um, kind of Manchester baggy sounding at the start to kind of the Mockney pop to the kind of darker stuff they did in the late nineties, the Verve went from being this really kind of psychedelic out there band on like A Storm in Heaven, the debut album, to like doing, um, you know, string drenched kind of epics, you know, like Bittersweet Symphony and Lucky yeah, Man true. and Drugs Don't Work and stuff. But if we think about it today, you've just made me think of something now. You know, Blur are still going. They made the Magic Whip only about four years ago. Four years, four ago, years ago, yeah. And um, do you, would you still class them as Britpop? I mean, you probably can't now, can no, you? No, you can't. Britpop is dead. It's not, and it's not the same. The music has changed. It's so wildly different. They've they've evolved their sound so much. You can't call them a Britpop band anymore. So I guess, I guess are we coming around to this idea maybe that uh, Britpop was just a bit of a 
a lazy cultural cliche, a catch-all umbrella for something that was quite um, that, that was quite diverse and quite different. It was and, a, yeah, it was a scene, wasn't it? And I think the bands that are still around now are bands that quite clearly have um, the talent, and they've stepped above and uh, over the rest that maybe might not have the talent to carry. Oh, it's interesting actually to think maybe Supergrass. What would they sound like if they develop new music? Would they be any good? Maybe a bit like um, Gaz Coombe's solo albums, to be fair, which I think have been pretty good. He's put a, a kind of good run of solo albums out in uh, recent years, but they're not exactly breaking the the Supergrass template, I would say, or late Supergrass yeah, template. Yeah, that's what I'd be interested to see, whether a band like that could do what a band like Blur have done. But yeah, I think to return to kind of our original, original point, if Britpop was to have a king, it would be Damon Albarn, I think. There's probably an argument that it could be Liam or Noel or, or Jarvis, but we're going we're gonna to crown... Uh, Damon is the king of Britpop, and it's probably a good chance for, for me to play out an interview I did with Damon um, eight years ago. As actually I promised, I think, on the episode we did in the last series, where you went and interviewed Dave Roundtree. Do you want to remind the listeners a little bit about how that came about and what, what we talked about there? About this time last year, actually, I headed down to, uh, where was I? Sea Containers House, actually, on the South Bank, on the river, which was a lovely setting. Um, and I met Dave Roundtree there. Um, and we talked, I met Dave a few years ago at an event, um, and I kind of got him on the podcast. Um, I'd been, I'd kind of seen them in, in Australia when I lived there on the Magic Whip Tour, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, and we talked a bit about the Blur versus Oasis wars on that podcast among many other things and yeah we did um, say that we'd play the Damon interview we've had this in our back pocket for quite a while um, but we just haven't had the right time to bring it in so this is us um, kind of doing that now I guess as we mentioned earlier about the whole bargain hunt thing I think the older something gets kind of the more classic it becomes it's like antiques fetch value <laughs> the older they get so that's why we've left this this a year to play out and the other thing to say is that you know, that you talked to, to, to Dave a lot about the kind of Blur versus Oasis Britpop wars. This is definitely not what this Damon interview is, is all about. No, and I think when I listened to this, when you sent it to me the first time, I thought, oh, that's very different to what I thought it would be. It's not, well, hang on, didn't you go in there and you weren't allowed to talk about Blur? And what you did was very cleverly, as a journalist would, talk about all the other stuff and then right at the very end, trick him and get hit and get the right information. I mean, that's a very cynical way of looking at it. What that's exactly I, what you said you did, Rick. <laughs> well, Don't on. you dare lie. <laughs> what actually happened was that he was putting out an album at the time, the DRC, uh, the Congo album that he was doing. Uh, I'm going to rustle some paper and work out the title was. It was Kin's Shash. 1-2, which actually I really liked at the time. It was like a kind of mix of, um, I guess, sort of Congolese rhythms with kind of his kind of classic kind of pop sounds. So that actually really worked as an album. Not been back to it since, but it was a good album. And it was also an interesting time because, you know, Gorillaz were kind of on a bit of a break and they'd kind of almost implied that Gorillaz were breaking up. So he's one of those guys where you go and interview him and I was given a strict, like, 25, you've got 25 minutes. The PR said, I'll be back in 25 minutes, so you better have wrapped up. So I kind of looked at it almost like, I looked at the clock and thought, well, I've basically got, like, five minutes on each of his projects. And one of them, yes, I think if you're going to go and speak to, to Damon Albarn, you want to ask him about blur particularly when you know they'd come back three years previous to that with their kind of big reunion and things had gone kind of quiet so yes I do ask about that but it's this this to me is more about painting the picture of a man who has his kind of fingers in many musical pies he's, he's keeping himself very very busy and also gives a little bit away on kind of his creative process and how he's approaching creativity so I think it's quite an interesting thing to, to sort of listen back on yeah and if you're a Damon fan this isn't the kind of stuff you'd usually hear him talking about right and it's not the kind of stuff you'd usually see on social media. So if you are a Damon fan, you're, right, you're in the right place, and I hope you enjoy it. 
yeah, without further ado, let's let's play this out. This is me interviewing Damon Albarn at his West London studio back in 2011. So where to start? I think we'll start with Gorillas, if that's all right. Okay. Um, you just announced like sort of last week you're doing a, a 10 year best of. As you uh, do. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> but there was kind of a bit of confusion about whether you were kind of closing the book on the project with Murdoch's tweets, like you said, something the end is nigh. And he said this is well, you know, I mean, God, I, I wouldn't close the book on anything. I mean, it's in essence, it's for me, it's just music making, whatever it is. I don't happen to be doing that at the moment, mm. but you know, it doesn't. I mean, I don't get up in the morning and go right. I'm I'm writing music for this. So I just yeah, just what kind of sort of you know what's happening whenever it's happening is what I'm into. But, um, so, simply, no, I'm not closing the book on it, but uh, I've definitely, uh, <laughs> um, I, I put a bookmark in the book. Right, I put okay. The book down. Yeah. I put the book down, and I'm probably reading another book at the moment. So that suggests there's more of the book left to go, if there's a bookmark in there. Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it alludes to there being more chapters, but uh, yeah, you wouldn't put a bookmark in a book that you've already read. That's true, yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, one thing I did think was that you obviously did the fall last year, and it was kind of done out on the road, um, and it was kind of... I did that for a laugh. And it was, deli- but it was delivered on iPads as well, which I thought was... Yeah, I, d- I did that literally to sort of... Um, I mean, I, I kind of like making records very strict. Or of late, I've just I've become really interested in making records with cut-off points. Like in the Congo record, we gave ourselves those five days, and nothing was done after the record after those five days. And it was the same, it was pretty much the same when when I was making the fall. I have like a couple of hours before sound check, and then you know, real luxury would be on a day off if I could be bothered. I'd set up. And, and, and make music in the hotel in, in, in my in my room. But I never I wouldn't go back to stuff. I, I only made on those days so it was really like a diary. So stuff kind of within that process can can sometimes uh, sound sort of you know, to some ears unfinished, but it's not really unfinished. It's just it it's just you're you're listening to a process whether it's at the end of, of it or right near the beginning. Mm. And I kind of you know, I like I like the process. I don't see why everything has to be completely uh, finished and perfect. I mean, I like making mistakes. Basically, I enjoy I enjoy that aspect of making music. Because sometimes it's it's really exhilarating. You you fuck something up and it sounds a lot better. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm. You know. So. But would you say you're working better when you do set yourself a time frame and say, right, I want this done by the end of the tour or on the Congo, I want this done um, in five I days? Is that it, re- it really depends. I mean, with John D, it's a really long process. I did, I did it in Manchester. With a, we had like an eight-week workshop period before, so at that point, but I've just recorded it. But that it's already changed from 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 where it was like in Manchester and when it comes to the E&O next summer next summer or next year it'll be different it'll be slightly different again and somewhere in all of that I suppose I also like making records that are just straightforward pop records yeah which are probably the hardest records to make 
Are they ones where you set yourself a window? Oh. Are, they, are they ones that um, kind of happen? Some, sometimes. I mean, I'm making a record at the moment, um, which is, we've got two weeks, and then we've got some more time. I don't know. They're all different. Every uh, That's the exciting thing for me, is, is that the process is different every time. Like working mm. with Tony and Flea, that's been going on now for three years. But that's only because we've only, we, we don't, get together very often mm, mm. and we met, we started the whole thing with literally just the three of us whenever we had a couple of days uh, we just all play live together and, and it, that's you know been editing and then going back and putting other stuff on top and yeah that's been a long long a long one and that's nearly finished now but and you play at the end of the month at the Barbican right yeah have you got a title for this for this project yet yeah we have got a title but I can't remember it at the moment now, has actually got the album's actually got a title now. For a very long time, it's just been called Tony Flea and Me or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of Tony, obviously, yeah, another thing that came up last week was the Good, the Bad, and the Queen. Oh, look. Coming back. Um, really excited. You're not played live for really three years. Really excited about that. That uh, just came out of the blue. That wasn't. I mean, I know a lot of people are playing their classic album, but we've only got one album, so mm. we don't actually have any job. I've written a new song, and if we get time, it would be great to play that as well. But that, that, I've had a relationship, and Paul's had quite a relationship with, with the guys at Greenpeace, and uh, we just, it just, it's just a really good excuse to do something positive and also learn all those songs again and play them. Because, I mean, mm. we didn't really... Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. That's probably the thing I'm looking forward to the most this mm. autumn is... It's good band the Queen. It's playing that gig. Yeah, yeah. You know. And I'm, I'm sure at the end of it we'll go, wow, we're doing more than one gig, but... I going to say, it's, a, it's been... We're doing build. two gigs on one day. So it's been built as a kind of one-off day, though. So it is a one-off day, There's yeah. not any other, like, plans. You say you've recorded a new song, though. You've no, got, I'm not recording you've, a new song. Oh, you've written a new song. I've written a new song. Are there any plans to, to record? Is it good, the band, the Queen? See how it sounds. I mean, I'd love to, but... Uh, I can't see quite at the moment where that would actually fit in unless... You know, I mean, the thing is, I don't normally work in the evenings. The reason I'm I'm working after six o'clock is because my missus is away and my daughters are friends. So I've actually got a free evening. But I don't, I don't normally work, I work like 10 to... I appreciate that and mixing it with the family as well. Yeah, I know. I'm really yeah. militant about it. I don't do, I don't work in holidays. Or just nine to five. So it's amazing that you cram all. Well, no, if you, you do, yeah. nine to five, you work every day yeah. and you don't faff about too much, you get quite a lot done. Um, I would like to talk about the DRC music we were, we were uh, talking about, you know, we kind of touched on before. Um, it's, it's just, I think it's an impressive body of work that's been put together in, in five days. Can you just talk me through a little bit? How it all um, came together. Process. Yeah. Um, well, I've done quite a few of those sort of those sort of trips to Africa under uh, Africa Express, where you kind of put the word around to musicians and say, "Do you fancy coming and hanging out for a week, playing with musicians?" And they've been really successful, and we've done we've done some gigs with that. Um, but this time it was like, well, I'm not going to be able to make a record with 
musicians, African musicians in a week and record it and everything and write it. So I just don't think it's going to happen. So we just took a different approach this time and contacted some, contacted a lot, a lot of producers. The guys that came were the ones that were the most sort of up for it. Uh, and we literally just landed and started recording on uh, just with dance and stuff. I don't call dance anymore. It's what mm. me. Uh, cassettes. Uh, record, recorded on hard drive. <laughs> and uh, and then everyone sort of started getting into that process and we were listening to music all the time going, going out in the evenings. Uh, musicians were coming coming to the uh, sort of central location in Kinshasa and the word was put out and basically we got we got uh, I mean by the end I think there were, we 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 kind of sort of listened and recorded about 150 musicians we couldn't obviously use all of that we got all of that amazing material I mean there's another m much longer record of just Congolese music that was recorded and it sounds fantastic I mean a, g a good example of that is the Bebson uh, three-piece suite from act the actress did. That's a good example of what the raw material sounds like. Mm. But yeah, so everyone just took took bits. You know, the rule was we couldn't make the music unless it was music that was coming from the experience we were having. Mm. No, but but it wasn't like we didn't expect everyone to like, you know, be completely sort of. Uh, Orthodox in in making African music. That wasn't the point of it. It was just to kind of sort of get people really vibed up and do something positive. And that's in a short, short period of time. Positivity is probably the word. One of the words that I take yeah. over. It's really danceable as well. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The rhythms are, are amazing yeah. on it. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, anyone who likes that record, you know, when they say, if you like this, it's really <laughs> there's so many amazing Congolese records. You know, from from, from from the more modern ones like Congatronics to Spendabilly, and then and then you go back into the more sort of uh, Latin orientated stuff from the seventies, which is just mind blowing. Because I mean, it's the sort of thing that usually goes on stuff like Jules Holland, or certain bands get on Jules Holland, yeah. and then you know that's kind of where it stays. Or I think the fact they've worked with you is yeah. to put it on that platform, isn't it? Well, I don't. I mean, I'm. I think there's so much wealth. I mean, Congo is an interesting country because it is fundamentally a very wealthy, resource-rich place. It's huge as well, absolutely huge, mm -hmm. like the size of Western Europe. But it's been terribly mismanaged. It's, it's incredibly corrupt. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to even imagine how... How are they going to sort it all out? But, but the people do not see any of the money. And quite honestly, that country could support all its people very comfortably if, 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 if you know, just basic kind of sort of basic, get the, they could pay for the roads to be good, they could put the hospital, you know, everything could be just be so much better in them, so much more positive for the people who live there. But, you know, unfortunately, and in a way, it's sort of tragic that. A lot of the things which we hold dear, like uh, mobile phones, you know, they're, they're, they use kind of sort of uh, raw elements that can only be found in Congo. And, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, some of the mines, well, most of the mines, 
are 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 managed very uh, very corruptly. And apart from the money not really getting to the Congolese, it's also financing a terrible civil war uh, on the border with Rwanda up near Goma. Mm. So it's a lot of shit in that country. But for me, but what's why? Both times I've been there, I've kind of sort of left with is the energy and creativity of the people, and you know their their uh, their invent their inventive spirit, the way they just make they make new sounds and new instruments out of just rubbish, what we would consider to be rubbish, and and it sounds different, and the way they play, if it's a new instrument, it, the way something. That that was a kind of orthodoxy, orthodox sound sounded. Once it played on this new instrument, a whole new musical language developed. Well, if you're a musician, that is a really exciting place to to hang out, really. You know, and obviously, I'd recommend it to anybody. You support, you know, the the proceeds from the album supporting Oxfam as well. Oxfam and also um, publishing goes to the musicians who we sampled. Because you can get people to go over to some of Africa do an album. Uh, and they kind of, you know, use the great talents and not necessarily give back, whereas what you're doing is... Yeah, no, I mean, we try... I mean, it's kind of pointless going over there and not doing that if that's what you've gone over there to do. I mean, we're very, very careful to... I mean, you know, another thing that we, we, we're we actively involved in is trying, is trying to to make it easier for, for musicians from Congo and other countries to get... Uh, work visas so they can come and play here because mm. you know we only see we only see just a little fraction of what's actually out there and that would be a way of really changing a lot of people's lives you know because I mean a Congolese band comes over and makes enough money to support its whole neighborhood mm. it's really a big deal so looking at another obviously the, the one project project band we haven't mentioned yet is is blur Mm. Um, there's been kind of bits and pieces from Graham, uh, you know, saying that you are you have been meeting up every now and again, yeah, record stuff. Um, well, you know, you're so busy at the moment. Where where does Blur figure in? Not at the moment. moment. Doesn't figure anywhere because I'm doesn't figure out this year really in anything I'm doing. You know, we do meet up, and I mean, I think we've uh, we've always uh, wanted play in America again. So we've talked about that. Just because we sort of I don't know. May, maybe there maybe there's an audience. I don't know. I mean it's a difficult thing. It's sort of one of those blurs one of those things that when I actually get down and do it, it's amazing playing all those old songs and it's it's a great feeling and play well together still and but the actual um, the notion of going through that all again is quite daunting really because it seems like it's such a big emotional commitment because that's been talked of kind of doing you obviously did the record store day thing yeah. last year kind of rather than going ever doing an album or getting together for an album that you'd maybe just do one off seven inch singles yeah or, well we we, we, we did uh, we did we did uh, we did do something um, beginning of this year, but we did 
did something with, 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 with the poet Michael Horowitz um, about, which was all about like carnival, funnily enough, and after the after the the riots, there was talk that they were going to cancel carnival this year, uh, and it's about don't stop. It, 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 it's, it's a kind of spoken word piece about about you know the importance of carnival, and I suppose if they if if they had uh, if they had, which thank God they didn't, if they had cancelled, maybe we'd have put put it put it out at that at that point. But uh, for now, it's not. It had its moment. It had it didn't, its moment didn't happen. So, so you had something kind of lined up. Well, not no, not not. I didn't see that happening, but yeah, it just yeah. happened that we had something that would be a perfect kind of sort of. Uh, plea to not stop the carnival if they had stopped it, but they didn't, so it's kind of not relevant. Mm. It was relevant for about twelve hours, but it's a good, it's a yeah. fun, fun piece. But that's the last thing we did. That's all I'm saying. You're talking about possibly playing in America. You wouldn't consider anything UK. Well, I just don't know if anyone really wants to see it again. I mean, they've seen it already, haven't they? Yeah, yeah but the gigs went down. I know, but I mean, you, you do know. people genuinely want to go through all that again? Because I mean, that's essentially what what we've got to offer. We haven't got anything new in that sense. You know? I don't know. But speaking about not necessarily doing anything new, I did read quite recently you're looking at possibly doing a musical based on the Great Escape. Well, I, I, I it did occur. I'm not me. I was just sort of uh, I was putting it out to tender. Mm. I just thought, no pun intended. Um, I was, uh, I just, I mean, at the time, I'd always thought, oh, this, this is more like a musical than an album. Mm. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Is anyone interested in in the 90s yet? They will be, one day. Maybe not yet. I think there's 90s bars in Newcastle, you know. Are they? That's when I was last in Newcastle, yeah. Okay. So so there'll be a naughty bar soon, it's, you know. It's, yeah, it's bubbling. No, but I mean, it hasn't come back with the kind of sort of, the sort of virulence that uh, uh, the 80s. You know what I mean? It's still waiting for its moment. I haven't seen, you know, people wearing baggy trousers again, mm. and flares and bowl cuts. Wrap it up there if you want, Dan. That's okay. Thanks a lot for your time. So, what did I say? Did I say I said I didn't say anything I will regret? Well, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, Rick. You sound so young and northern. Well, I was younger and probably a little bit more northern. Does at the time. your voice? How many? Eight years. Does your voice really get that much deeper if you're a man in eight years? I mean, it's it not sounds, like you were like twelve. It. It's not like I smoke either or anything like that. No, so. what's going on? So yeah, it's always it always makes me giggle to to listen to you on on these tapes, and I think it might be weird for the listener as well going from this you now to this <laughs> going up a few I'm going to blame it on the old dictaphones as well yeah sure know. yeah you like that don't you blame it on the tapes um, another thing that I thought was quite funny in this was the, uh, the the massive crunch of celery right at the beginning it almost hurt my ears to listen to and I could picture him sitting there just chomping on a bit of celery was that not distracting it's interesting you mentioned that because he uh, he offered me some celery he said you know he, I literally imagine want... if you'd have both been sat there <laughs> chomping on celery well yeah it wouldn't, so, wouldn't yeah. sound great on the tape but yeah he, he came in and said and, you know he wandered into his studio went straight to the kitchen got a stick of celery came back and was just kind of chomp. he offered me one was chomping on it and I think we had a chat about how I quite like celery and yeah, curry celery, soup. Yeah, celery, celery, I've written this down, curried celery soup, and I've gone, 
question mark, exclamation mark, question mark. What is that? You never had curried celery soup? No, I have not. I've never even heard of curried celery soup. Well, you just put some curry powder and some celery in a pan and then boil it for 10 hours or whatever. I don't know what kind of chef you are, but no thanks. But I think, do you reckon he was doing that to as a bit of an act? I think I feel like a lot of people in interviews, they do things like that as a bit of a, a way in to kind of build up their character. I don't know. It's very interesting you mentioned that because something springs to mind for me on that. I interviewed a band called Howler once and I was told, go and meet them at... Um, it was the old Blue Last they were playing that night and they'd been sound checking. And when I came in, the singer was lay kind of prostrate on the stage going, I want to kill myself, I want to die. And like obviously kind of playing like the stereotypical sort of tortured rock star. I mean, I put this in the piece, obviously. Well, yeah, that's what they want you to do, isn't it? But but you're right. Yeah, there, there is there is an element of theatre and performance, I think, to interviews that maybe when these are done in print, and this obviously was for a print interview for... Uh, for enemy that you you maybe don't that doesn't come across as much as when you play it out as kind of an audio piece I guess yeah well I liked that it really added to the his character of you know he's, he he sounds very it's not it's not your usual lad is he he's a very intense and serious guy yeah and that really comes across I think on that but um a couple of other things I really liked as well and these are just things you know not really to do what music or what it's talking about but. He said he likes making mistakes and that some of the best things that he's ever done have come out of making mistakes. And I quite liked that. Um, and also, I love the fact that he works from 10 to 6, five days a week. Not something I've ever heard before for someone who works in the music industry. I mean, you, you think of creative process and musicians. You think of up until 3 in the morning taking all sorts of substances or later than 3. They might go to bed a little bit later than that. You know, and he, he's saying he <laughs> treats it... Or not going to bed. Or not going to bed, exactly, yeah. I mean, him treating it as a as a job and you know and also I think his career maybe bears out that kind of mistake making thing in that I think you know if you wanted to be hypercritical you could say a guy that does so many different projects is quality control a problem the fact is he's not really done a classic album in terms of solo albums has he? he's not done something that is universally well known but maybe that's his creative process throw enough kind of ideas and styles and collaborations at the wall and he hopes something will stick. I don't know. What do you think? Eat enough celery and you'll have enough brain power to, to make something stick. That's what I think. But yeah, no, I, I do think that. By the way, as well, in the background, you, there's a bit of loud banging. And I had it in my an image in my head of him opening cupboards and rummaging for, for more celery. That's literally what was going through my head when I could hear the, rum- yeah, the, 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 the cracking in the background. There are points where you think I'm, I'm building an Ikea piece of Ikea there's, Yeah, something. What was going on? Um, it, it was frankly just the sensitivity of the dictaphone I had right. at the time. It was one of those where you literally touch the table and it sounds like oh, you've got off a bomb. That's so. sad. <laughs> that's sad. I had some really good images of you two building Lego or something. But I've tried to remove as many of these in the edit, so hopefully they're not they're not hurting your ears as much as they've hurt. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating. They didn't hurt my ears. I think it adds to it all. You did get into trouble. We talked about that, but you did talk to him a bit about Blur, didn't you? When you say got into trouble, I mean, my editors were delighted that we had a, a blur headline stick on the Did cover. Did you get shouted out uh, by the PR in the, the, the end? The PR, I don't, uh, from memory, I don't think the PR was particularly happy. Even though we did give space to his Congo album, his Gorillaz stuff, uh, the stuff he was doing with, you know, about the good, the bad and the queen, the things that, you know, the readers actually want to know about. But yes, we did get a little bit of a, a blur exclusive. And actually, listening back to this, I don't think the track that he talks about, the um, spoken word track he did with Michael Horowitz, the poet, um, has ever seen the light of day. You know, at the time he said they recorded it the year before when the Notting Hill Carnival was at threat of being uh, being stopped and shut down. And then when it was reinstated, the track had, uh, it had nowhere to go or he felt it wasn't relevant anymore. So that, to me, is a real kind of lost Blur song there that I would love to hear. I'd love to hear how that would have sounded. Funny, isn't it? No one's ever heard it. 
Not to my knowledge. I don't think it's ever I don't appeared. Say nobody, on. but it's not. It's not been released to the public. It's not been right? released to the public. Yeah. Hmm. I'm, I was going to say, oh, hopefully we can get in touch with him. That's never going to happen. But um, maybe you never know. You never know. Maybe they're planning something big for their um, 30th anniversary next year. Yeah, it's interesting you raise that because it is 29 years. I think almost the day we don't know what day we're going to release this podcast yet, but. 15th of October is when their first single, uh, uh, She's So High, was released. So we are, yeah, 29 years in now. I mean, I, mean, we, I suppose we could have, if we were smarter, have waited a year. As I said, you know, antiques get better with age. We could have waited a year to put this out as a 30th anniversary of Blur, but we kind of thought, well, why... Why wait why for a wait? round number? Why wait? Well, yeah, exactly. We don't need to... Symmetry is quite quite nice, but it's not always the one, is it? But I think it makes me realise just how young we both were when um, when they started. And that, to me, is even more impressive that they're still around and still going strong. Well, still going strong as individual musicians, if not if not a band. I yeah, guess but good on say. them. You know, a lot of bands that were around then are probably pave, pavers and bricklayers now. Well, certainly Luke Haynes probably is. Probably a good place to wrap up the episode, though. And, uh, yeah, I guess really looking forward to hearing Damon's new music. As fun as it's been to, to kind of be nostalgic for the old days, always looking forward for new stuff. So uh, His icicle music, as you said earlier. Yeah, that's what I said, wasn't it? Yeah, what the hell would icicles sound like? But let, let's let's find out in uh, in May 2020 when he takes that on tour. And, you know, it's just, it's just dawned on me as well, Rick, that we've now done, um, out of 16 episodes we've done for demo tapes so far, two of them have been Blur. So we've had one with Dave Rantree, the drummer, and now this one with Damon. So... Does that mean we're going to go on a quest now to complete the set? Are we going to do Graham and um, Alex at some point? You, d- you did interview Graham, right, at some point? Yeah, so that does exist somewhere, I think, in my interview mountain of tapes. So uh, Go and find yeah, it, please. I, th- I think we're on that quest already, right? So, and this uh, is not a Blur podcast. This is not what this is going to turn into. But now we've got that in our heads. I think that's, you know, we'd be silly not to try and complete it, wouldn't we? We'll do a bit of, we'll go on, f- we don't have an interview with uh, Alex, but I'm sure we can f- kind of find him somewhere. And, go and hang around at a food festival or something. Yeah, or a cheese, a cheese fest- festival, yeah. Cheese yeah. Festival. We'll go, to his ha- go to his music and cheese festival in the summer. But yeah, um, thanks for listening. Oh, just before we go, as well I almost forgot um, I said I'd give my friend a shout out uh, Minnie Braz that's not Minnie Braz that's her sister but hey up Nikki as well um, Kate Brazier um, she is listening from Barcelona Barcelona um, she's my Bezzy and she grew up absolutely adoring Damon he was her number one so I said I'd give her a shout out on this does this mean I get a shout out in the next episode if I make some mates between now and the next episode recording? If right. you get a shout out, oh, you can do a shout I can out. Do a you shout can do a shout out, out whatever yeah. you want, Rick. It's your podcast. I, w- I, w- I wasn't aware this was a thing, but fine. It wasn't until until now. Because we ta- me and Kate were talking about it earlier. I said, "Oh, I'm just about to go and talk about Damon," and she was like, "Oh my god, Damon!" And she was talking about how she had posters of him on a wall when she was a teenager. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, I get, the- I get it. You're a big Damon fan. It's fine. I'll give you a shout out." So here we go. So yeah, thanks for getting in touch with us, uh, Kate. But how can other people get in touch with the show, Sarah? Well, Rick, they can email us if they want to um, at demotapespod at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at demotapespod. My personal one on Instagram is uh, at I am Sarah Jane Kemp, and yours is. Oh, hang on! You don't have Instagram, do you? You're you're weird. You do, you just do well, Twitter. Well, I, I have Instagram. I just very rarely post. Photos you don't understand it, do you? Five. 
I understand it. I just don't like it. Okay, yeah. I don't have an interesting enough life to document it in kind of a photo journal style. Okay, fair enough. But I do have Twitter. So that's Rick underscore J underscore Martin. Oh, and one final thing. If you want to do us a really big favour, which I'm sure you do because we're bringing you all this kind of uh, audio goodness and archive interviews if you want to give us a five star rating on uh, itunes that really does help with us spreading the word and climbing up charts and you know <laughs> mangling algorithms and all that sort of stuff and the five star rating really does help us um not least because we have got some really big plans and good exciting plans in the pipeline for the podcast and we do want to continue growing and expanding it so um, anything you can do to help would be greatly appreciated um, but for now um, we're going to have we're going to go and I'm going to go and eat some chocolate Rick okay enjoy until <laughs> next time I will see ya <laughs> <laughs>